And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. The Phil Hay Show. Welcome to the show that's brought to you by The Athletic, along with The Square Ball. Dan here from The Square Ball, along with Michael Normanson and Phil Hay from The Athletic. We're recording, uh, it is Thursday lunchtime, just to timestamp this. Twice a week we are now, don't forget. There's a Monday show and there is a Friday show as well. Generally speaking, you come straight from the uh, the press conference on a Friday, Phil, to uh, to report back on what Jesse said, but to give this one a bit more shelf life and with it being the FA Cup, we're... Uh, we're going early this week. There's also a lot to talk about, really, isn't there? Plenty to get into um, aside from Cardiff. So, yeah, worth, um, worth an extra day, I think. Uh, Theathletic.com forward slash Leeds pod. If you're not yet signed up to The Athletic, check out the latest New Year offer on there. Theathletic.com forward slash Leeds pod, where you can read, is it going to be fallout? Is it going to be analysis from the from the game uh, last night at Ellen Road against West Ham? 2-2, Phil. We should start there. What did you make of it? Uh, strange night again. Classic Ellen Road game. I said that towards the end on Twitter. You know, this is Ellen Road as you've come to know it. And you seem to get so many of those sort of trademark evenings where everything's in the guts and everything's on the edge and um, everybody's feeling it towards the end. I, I thought I thought Leeds almost deserved to nick it, really, on the basis of how it went in the last kind of 20, 25 minutes. And with the exception of that Antonio chance that looked as if he was going to turn in right at the death, it was kind of Leeds game um, in the closing stages. And they did manage to turn it around from... West Ham looking worryingly comfortable to, to West Ham starting to wobble at the back. And I think the substitutions made a difference to that. But it felt very much like another game in a long line of games like many we've seen um, under Jesse Marsh, many we've seen in the last 12 months. Good in patches, a particularly good move for the goal, uh, for Nonto's goal. Um, terrific finish. And he is rapidly looking like Leeds' best player at the moment. It's quite funny to think that as somebody who who arrived almost as a kind of emergency deal in August or certainly earlier than planned, has come to be such a, an influential player and somebody who leads are relying on quite heavily for invention and, and imagination going forward. That was a that was a really good goal. But there is this constant battle, I think, to find a way to properly build performances, to build performances that are sustained and, and run through the best part of 90 minutes. Leeds always seem prone to these flaky periods like they had at the back end of the, the first half last night where the, the penalty was given away and it was without any question a penalty. And I know a few people around us um, in the West Stand were kind of saying, look, if if the referee waves play on and Fornells gets a chance as good as that and he doesn't stick it away, should you consider that, you know, playing, playing advantage? And I suppose there's an argument to be had there, but it was a definite foul from strike. You know, that was a penalty all, all ends up. And then that weird period of about 45 seconds at the start of the second half, where Leeds seemed determined to give the ball away seemed determined to lose the ball to West Ham right outside their own box. And eventually Anderson did, gave it to um, Skamak, who smashed it in off, off the post. From there, I have to say that I think Leeds did pretty well to dig something out of it because I had that feeling of it going the way it so often goes at Ellen Road where West Ham scored again, people lose patience and, and it becomes fairly poisonous. And I think when it came to the, the closing stages, they had the better of it um, and they definitely could have nicked it that chance for Rodrigo right at the end that Fabianski saved and was a, a real near miss for West Ham but 2-2 on the night was probably relatively fair between two sides who don't look in great shape There were some really exciting moments weren't there some really good football that got played um, on the other end of the spectrum it was terrible at times as well and Leeds looked looked nervous I think with the draw it's done that Leedsy thing of, of taking us absolutely no closer to being able to say with any degree of confidence exactly where this is heading Absolutely that's what we were saying about Newcastle, really. It was a good point, very good point up there. And anybody who takes a point from St. James's will be, will be fairly happy with it. But I don't think it paints any more clearly the bigger picture of whether this is you know on, on the road to Leeds becoming a particularly good team, which I don't think they are at the moment. They did play some nice stuff last night, but in patches again. And I think, as Marsh said afterwards, it was quite, quite obvious from, from his comments that he didn't think a whole lot of the way they'd played. He was quite annoyed about the fact that it had taken for Leeds to go 2-1 down for them to really have a pop at West Ham and, and to kind of cut loose 
similar to what they did against Man City when it went 3-0 and there was nothing to lose. It wasn't so much like that at 2-1 down. You know, very much in the game still at that point. But he almost felt like it took that for the shackles to, to come off. And you'll have noticed before Leeds scored, before Nantes goal the opener, there was around about the 18th minute, there was quite a bit of grumbling about backwards passes, particularly from Adams in midfield to the centre-backs. And the centre-backs kind of being lateral with it rather than looking for forward balls. And then quite a sarcastic cheer as the ball went forward from Robin Koch to Luke Ayling on the right-hand side. And I think that did expose or underline the way people were feeling. And the fact, I think, that people at the point now where they want to be they want to be convinced by this. They need to be convinced by this. And, and it's not it's not quite happening. As I say, I think they deserve the point without any question. But it, it was interesting, I thought, that Marsh wasn't especially delighted with the first half or, or the way that they played and, until they went 2-1 down. And he was talking a lot yesterday about needing to bring more bravery out of the football um, that Leeds are playing. Talked again about wanting Leeds to be the team I know they can be, as he put it. I think quite a lot of what's been said by him certainly since the, the World Cup break, but actually in a few of the games or after a few of the games prior to it, um, Bournemouth, Liverpool, Spurs as well. I think he, I would say he is feeling the pressure. You know, I think it is definitely affecting him. Do you think it's fair that he always seems to shift it to mentality things like bravery and becoming the best version of yourself and that type of stuff rather than maybe looking at some of the structural things? Because I still don't, I still don't know what we're trying to do most of the time we have the ball. Well, that's a follow-up question I was going to ask as well, Phil, on a, on a similar sort of theme he's kind of detaching himself, it feels like, a little bit. Or maybe he's not. Maybe he's not intending to do that. But it does feel to me like he might be detaching himself a little bit from that outcome, as, as Michael says. And isn't it it's his job to, to fix that? It is. It's certainly one way in which you can almost divorce yourself from a little bit of the responsibility by saying, you know, I need the players to be braver. I want them to be braver. I'm telling them to be braver. And I asked him afterwards, how do you do that? Because that's a mentality thing rather than a physical thing. You know, that's all in the mind. and. He talked a little bit about channeling our inner clicky, you know, Matthias Cleek, holding him up as an example of somebody who doesn't tend to feel the pressure, doesn't seem to struggle with it, actually seems to quite like it, likes to be in the thick of battle and, and doesn't have any, any problem with that. But of course, you were talking about somebody who was in the process of exiting the building. So the player that you're holding up as the example for you is the, the player that you're about to lose. I, I totally agree with Michael. I suspect there is a mentality aspect to this and, and I can't doubt for a second that the players will be feeling the strain of the fact that the results haven't been haven't been good. I mean, they've barely averaged a point a game over a calendar year and that is, you know, mediocre form, to say the least. And I don't think it's signif- significantly better now under Marsh than it was really back when, when he first started. It still feels much, much the same. And yeah, tactically, I, I do think there are issues I've felt for a while um, that there are issues... It was more of a 4-3-3 last night, having kind of reverted to 4-2-3-1 against Newcastle, still trying to fall upon that system or that makeup of, of players, which really, really works. And as I say, I think you can tell in Marsh's rhetoric that it's starting to get to him, the fact that it just will not click and, and that they can't get any proper respite. You know, they can't hit a decent run where it falls into place. They get four or five results on the bounce and suddenly they've got some, some decent breathing space. What does he mean by bravery? It's, I guess it's the ability to play as you should play, do the things you should do without feeling constrained or without feeling tight, without feeling the pressure that comes from the crowd round about you or the pressure of knowing that you need points. He referenced the fact that Leeds seem to play with more freedom or have played with more freedom in games against Liverpool, against Chelsea, Spurs and so on, but seem to look more anxious and, and to feel the pressure a bit more when it comes to games like last night's that you, if not absolutely, have to be winning can't be losing and, and want to play well in. But it's a bit abstract, isn't it? Um, talking about bravery and courage and, and all this, that and the other. And I don't think that's wholly um, what's going on with this team. It might be might be part of it, but I think tactically it's yet to yet to show that there's a framework there that, that really suits everybody and that everybody's 100% comfortable with. I'm going to stray into tactics now. So, so forgive me. So who's, who's the athletics tactics guy? We have a few. We've got Michael Cox, the, the doyen of, um, of football analysis, um, but we've got others like Mark Carey. Um, well, let's pretend I've drafted in Carey and Cox then. Yeah, go I'm, on. I'm, go I'm on, channeling, yeah. channeling them for this. Yeah. What I noticed last night from the tactics was when we had the ball at the back, they had four men pressed very, very high onto our back four, maybe stood five or ten yards off. And as soon as the ball got popped out to one of them, 
they closed down. Is that what the kids would call a high press? Yes, um, <laughs> depending, of course, on where leads are on on the pitch. Well, so, we're uh, in our defensive third because yes, what I was going to yeah, say was you, that feeding back into that question of bravery is how can the players be more brave if they have no passing options apart from to go sideways? Because I I took that to mean that he wanted to see us do what we did in the second half when we were chasing the game, which was to try and play through the lines. But if there are no passing lanes and angles, how can you do that? How can you be braver if, from a tactical, structural setup point of view, the options are just not there? But, but, but that's get, it. It gets, that... pinged, it gets pinged around a bit at the back and then someone sends it and sometimes, or it gets chipped sometimes, to the fullback. Sometimes bravery is a hospital pass into midfield yeah. but it then gets intercepted. I've written several times this season to say that one of the big feelings I see with this team is the, the struggle to play from defence to midfield and midfield to attack to actually flow through those lines. It was one of the things that Leeds on the Marsh's predecessor did extremely well. You know, and, well done for not and, saying it. And they would, they would, I know I've not even worn my Buckfast, <laughs> Buckfast hoodie this week, next week. Which we got they, for, for Christmas for you, Phil. That's right, it's an absolute cracker. Yeah, I sent it to uh, my family and said, did you get a better Christmas present than this? And they genuinely did say, guys, you record the podcast with a weird. But, you know, <laughs> but never mind, I was, I was very happy. We did it. stay Thank on brand and we did buy that from Wish.com oh, for you. Oh, fantastic. There you so go, the, yeah. the Legion United Sleeve sponsors will be yeah. pleased. Sorry, Club anyway. Men. Excellent. Back on message. Yeah, so it was never a problem for... And, and, there are differences, okay? So in the championship, a lot of sides sat incredibly deep against Leeds um, and would allow Leeds to come on to them, would allow Leeds to dominate the ball. So where, whereas Leeds were actually good at playing through the lines and could put that those sort of passes together, there were quite a few games where they didn't really have to because they were playing against extremely passive sides who were sitting back and inviting them, inviting them on. That wasn't so true, though, in the Premier League when they, they first came up. And they were still able to go toe-to-toe and were still able to be very creative and to be very fluent and to be dominant, um, certainly in that first Bielsa season in, in the Premier League. With this team, it does seem to me that there is, it, there is this issue of trying to play back to front, you know, but to, to, to do so fluently. And there are, you're right, there aren't the outballs um, or the, the obvious passes, the, the obvious passing lanes that necessarily make that simple. I mean, one of the things that Marsh seems to be trying to do with the the four three three is to give himself scope in possession to have, basically have three at the back and to use your right sided defender, the fullback, so um, Christensen or Ailing as it as it was last night, to push further up and to give you an outlet on that side. And and the way they were set up last night, it gave somebody like Somerville the option of of drifting out um, towards the flank, Nonto to to drop in there as well um, if he wanted to. But that's quite a new idea certainly for this squad you know that's not how they've played most of the time that Marsh has been head coach they've been more than this 4-2-3-1 and if you're looking for patterns of play I think that's where this Leeds team are most blank that you don't see consistent patterns over and over and over again it does seem to be more and more based on the kind of frantic approach of pressing and counter-pressing to disrupt the opposition and to, to create chances from it and I've got to say that whenever somebody like Matthias Cleek has come on to the pitch Leeds seem to move away from the system that they're playing without him and, and move towards something else in which there's far more, I guess, far more um, value placed on possession and getting him on the ball and, and passing and moving. And sometimes they seem better for it. We uh, said that last night, Phil, didn't we? We said that after after Ailing and Click came on, uh, well, Ailing was on, but when Click came on and they started working together in tandem a little bit down that right-hand side, you saw something resembling possession-based attacks. Well, I think what Click has always done is worked to a, a, a high rate of short passes, really good interplay, constant interplay, which moves the opposition around, which helps you to have sort of sustained periods of possession and helps to steady things out. And he, he's very good, or always has been very good at, at popping up in space, at giving people an option to, to go for. And in his own way, he is quite a, a creative mind. I'm, I'm not going to pretend that he's now the force that he was at his peak under Bielsa. I don't think that would be true to say. We'll speak about him properly in part two. But while I'm really pleased for him that he's getting this opportunity to go, and while it is a really good offer from DC United, I, I was saying on Twitter halfway through the game, um, or, ha- or halfway through the, the second half when he'd come on, he is one of the guys who seems to make Leeds play. You, you get him involved and Leeds seem to play a bit more than they do when he's not on the pitch. Um, and I think that's because he is naturally somebody who wants to be in possession. That's why it works so well for him under Bielsa because that really heavily possession-based style was to a T for, for Cleek. 
I don't think he's ever particularly... Marsh always says he really likes him, really rates him, has played him a lot. Um, he referenced the fact that Clay could the fifth highest number of appearances under him. But I think the minutes, particularly this season, tell a very different story. You know, he's he's almost felt like the go-to player when it isn't working. And you send Cleek on, it changes slightly. The, the the approach changes slightly. And it seems to, you know, now and again, work for, for the better. So it's a concern to me that he's going. But I totally understand why he is. As I say, I, I think there are other players who Marsh would rather have in the team. I think Cleek can see that himself. It, it makes sense that it's a part of the ways. Given we moved on from Cleek then, are we getting enough from Rocker and Aronson? Because I feel like they've been below par for a while. Aronson is having a difficult time of things, definitely. He's not particularly in form at the moment. Um, he hasn't looked in great form for, for a little while, although granted, I accept we're only just back from the World Cup. Um, he didn't play a huge amount of minutes out there either, fewer than, than I expected him to. Again, his position seems to change. You know, there are times when he's out on the right, which... I think he actually looks best in that position, even though I can see how he would be almost tailor-made to play centrally. But sometimes he's in the middle. More recently, been points where he's been played as a bit of a false nine, which I don't think has worked. That is probably, he's probably one of the players who you're looking at and thinking, it's, it's not quite yet settled to know where he should be playing, what his best role is and, and how he properly fits. He's sort of a forward without portfolio, isn't he, in a way? That's quite a good way of putting it. Yeah, I think that's how I feel about him. You know what he can do. You know what you're going to get out of him at his best. But getting the best out of him hasn't been easy recently. And it becomes harder and harder to know if the way he's being used is is the cause of that. Interesting problems to solve. Some real positives last night, though. Willie Nonto looking better and better with every game. I mean... Looks not, fantastic. Not, not only the goal, but the, but the running with the ball as well. And just making things happen. It's the swagger. It's the fact that every time he touches the ball... The crowd lifts. The crowd lifts, but the reason they lift is because you get a lot of players who can run, who are quick, who can you know attack and look like a threat without actually being a threat. He's got the, I think, the full package of being quick, being direct and dynamic. So being able to run and, and take people on, but also knowing what to do with the ball. You know, his decision making is really good. His touch is excellent. That finish was fantastic, and a nice little pass from Somerville as well. And you have to say that. Leeds have leaned pretty heavily on some of the younger players that they've they've got in the squad. Somerville's been a big player for them with the, the goals that he scored prior to, to the World Cup. And Nonto, I think, has been the best player since um, the World Cup break ended. And that's you know, that that goal will do him do him good, without a doubt. But he just seems like he's like he's settled in now and is is happy in his skin, happy in, in the team. And it is odd to think that, you know, there was a player who wouldn't have been here had I saw somebody tweet last night saying, I think Player of the season at this rate is going to be Bamba Dieng for backing out the Leeds move because it meant that it meant that um, that Nonto arrived earlier than he he would otherwise have have done. But you know you do have this odd scenario where Leeds were not planning to be relying on him at this point at all. There was, I think, the plan that he would would have come in in this window and if not in this window, um, the following summer, depending on how it was going for him in Switzerland. But they really need him, and I look at him as someone who absolutely starts every game at the moment um, and I think that'll be the case irrespective of when Sinistera's back you know I think other people will have to knock him out the side and there's just something lovely about Willie Nonto the fact yeah. that he's still a teenager he plays with a smile on his face the football is direct and aggressive and it's just it's fun to watch yeah. him, which has been missing from Leeds too much this season I think he's got a, a, a sort of an unexpected maturity about him as well in terms of the the way he takes responsibility and the way he, he kind of gets involved in some of the more Nasty stuff as well. I think he get he tends to throw himself right in the mix on stuff, yeah. which, which you maybe don't expect from someone who's just coming into a team. I guess he's he's played a decent number of games, hasn't he? So he's maybe more of a a seasoned pro than we give him credit for because he ha- he has been playing from a young age. But I think that sort of stuff he does, you don't necessarily expect it from someone young. You maybe expect the tricks and a goal here and there and the fun stuff, but he do, he does he doesn't all, mean he does to tear all. up, does he? No, he he doesn't at all. You can always tell with young players whether the reputation is merited. You can you can base it on the people who've spoken about them and what they've said, and particularly Roberto Mancini. If you read some of what he said about Nonto, it's effusive in a way that a coach just wouldn't speak if they didn't think there was real and, and genuine talent there. And it does look like Leeds have landed themselves one with Nonto without any doubt. I mean, he got absolutely smashed early in the game, and he took about five minutes to to get over that because he was limping for a long time. And initially, you sort of wondered whether he was going to have to, to come off the pitch. I don't know but, if you noticed then, Phil, though, but there was a point at which I think Leeds broke in, in attack 
And I think it was Somerville who picked it up and passed it to him, and suddenly the limp, yeah. the, the limp, the, the, limp, the limp, had, limp had gone, and it was it was all fine. Yeah, um, yeah, I love that. Uh, but the it was re- the goal was just so clever. The movement away from that bunch of West Ham bodies on the right hand side, and suddenly into space, and. You know, good pass from Somerville, but needed a, a really tidy touch off his right. One touch of his right, bang, finish off his left. He, yeah, looks like a good signing. Given the two of them are inseparable, do you think he'll have a word with Somerville about his uh, his temper? <laughs> <laughs> well, you were talking about maturity there, and Marsh has referenced quite a lot the fact that in Nonto, you feel like you're dealing with a 30-year-old footballer who's been around the block and is, you know, a dream to, to, to kind of manage... With Somerville very much at the opposite end of the scale, and that young um, young pup who needs a bit of taming and um, needs a, a closer eye on him. But by all accounts, Nonto's been pretty good for Somerville. I think good for um, good for his temperament. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven US based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Before we get into clicky here in part two, a quick word about Rodrigo and a great finish last night, about 60 seconds after he'd done a terrible finish for the... <laughs> For that through ball. And I, and I said on our show last night, I was kind of bemoaning him, like oh, 27 million pounds, chuntering away to myself. And then he went and pulled that one out of the bag, which is what you want to see from him, isn't it? And if he keeps scoring like that, then good. I'd love to know with Rodrigo, when, when he goes and when his time's up at Leeds, whether in the end we'll look back and say, do you know what? He was decent. He was decent. Or in the end, will we all think to ourselves, really not sure what 27 million bought in the end. His goal scoring this season has been really good. I mean, some of his finishing been excellent that one at Spurs is probably the, the pick of the bunch but that was a, that that was a good goal last night as well and he was very unlucky not to win it at the end as top save from Fabianski I still can't decide and you can maybe answer this I still can't decide whether Rodrigo in the team makes Leeds better or makes Leeds worse his goals make Leeds better 100% that's 10 for the season now and that's you know that's only 7 off the, the number that Bamford got in the first Premier League season which we all felt was a really really outstanding return of 17 but he seems to ebb and flow Rodrigo between periods where he does good things and periods where him on the pitch is a frustration or seems to, to hinder Leeds he's another one who just really really needs to hit a groove that you know beyond goal scoring a groove where you, you're saying to yourself 100% you want him in the team I mean, I have to say, 100% I would have him in the team all the time at the moment because Bamford doesn't fit. You know, uh, Rodrigo is a threat with goals. You you definitely wouldn't be dropping him. But you know that kind of conviction of thinking he is someone who absolutely has to be on the pitch. I wonder if maybe his reputation has been coloured somewhat by being in the Bielsa side prior to this and that all-action, all-running style just didn't really suit him. Mm. He is more of kind of a drifting around up front and conserve your energy and then pop up and score those goals like we saw last night and that you know that little moment of explosive energy when he just cut inside smashed it in the net brilliant that's what you want to see isn't it and and, and maybe that's just kind of carried through into into the marsh era of this, this sort of era of uncertainty we're not quite sure where it's all heading and suddenly he's just finding a little bit of goal scoring form well, I think he's sorry Mike I was just going to say I think he's also got it into his head that when the chance comes take it you know he's he's finishing so regularly now that there seems to be less and less thought in his head of, mm, wait a minute, like you look for runners, look for options, look for passes. If you're in a position to shoot, then have a crack. I mean, I'll go back to a piece that um, one of our ex-staff, Tom Orville, did when he first when Rodrigo first signed from Valencia, which made the point that Valencia were a mile away from Bielsa's side um, when it came to being a pressing unit. I mean, Valencia just did not press. Like It was not their style. They were not high energy. They were not, you know... They weren't a team who particularly liked to dominate possession, dominate games. So it was a culture change for him, without any doubt. And it's always made me wonder whether actually his profile was properly suited to that. But, you know, irrespective of what you kind of think of, of his performances generally, his finishing, yeah, it's been it's been really good. I do wonder if he's had a bit of 
almost reputational damage from that spell playing as not as a striker as well because he was very frustrating in that position and I've no desire to see him playing there ever again because I don't think it worked for us at all in that when he was playing there. As a striker, I mean, it's very hard to get relegated if you've got a striker who scores 20 goals. Yeah. You've got goals keep you up ultimately, yeah. don't they? Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, we might still do it, but it's statistically, <laughs> it's, it's improbable that if you've got a striker who scores 20, you go down. But And, you know, there are a few other players who are chipping in with goals here and there, but um, not out and out forwards, you know, not getting a huge amount from Gelhart. We haven't seen much at all from Bamford this season. Uh, it has kind of been on Rodrigo to deliver goals and he's, you know, bless him, he's come up with them. He has. Um, and they would be in a far worse state if he was going through a drought as well. They they, they would. But I'd be interesting to see what Rodrigo makes of this and what he's got in his head as a, a target now. You know, then not even halfway through the season and he's on 10 goals already. You're right, he could hit, he could hit 20 and that would, that would take Leeds a long way to staying up. On the goals, you mentioned Bamford. Do, do we need to cover off his injury? Because it was um, it was a couple of weeks ago, two or three weeks ago that I, he was back. Yeah, I was told that he's back training this week. Whether or not that means he has a chance for Cardiff, uh, I would assume they wouldn't risk him in that game particularly. Um, so he'd be looking to Villa the following week. Uh, it's just a never-ending conversation, this one, isn't it? Because there were rumours circulating that he might be facing in a more extended layoff, but it was from sort of the, the clickbait rumour sites that was. Well, Marsh certainly hasn't said that, although he will be doing his press conference tomorrow. Um, so we'll see what the what the latest is. But he was saying last night that Forshaw had gone for another procedure um, on his hip. Very minor, they said, said he could be back, you know, can heal from it in a matter of days, two or three days. But again, that's that's another one that, that just keeps on keeps on rolling, really, keeps keeps throwing up throwing up issues. And that I would say is part of the problem with the squad is it isn't robust enough. It doesn't have enough it doesn't have enough big players who are consistently in the team and consistently performing um at a uh, an especially high level that is yielding points over and over again. And um I think like a lot of things at Leeds, it feels like they're, you know, transitioning from one era to another and, you know, at the moment are kind of caught in the middle. And it brings us on to the question of midfield, doesn't it? And with Clicky obviously going now. Marsh saying in the post-match or intimating maybe that they don't need another body. It was a, it was a bit equivocal that, yeah. Um, once he was pressed on it, it became, I don't want to talk about transfers. Right. Um, so we'll see there whether or not they do anything else. I think they need to. I don't I don't think they're in such a strong state that they can really afford to lose Cleek. Although I understand why he would want to go and I think it's the right decision for him. You know, I, I'm pleased for him that he's getting this, this chance, good contract out in the States. And he's not being used enough, I don't think. You know, he's not being used enough at Leeds to um, to, to particularly want to stick around. I think in his um, his goodbye letter, the line that said it all was him saying, you know, I just don't like being on the bench. I just don't like, don't like being a substitute, don't like sitting on the bench. I, I want to play games. Um, I think Marsh understands that, but it was, it was very apparent last night that Marsh was essentially saying, I don't know if this is the right decision for us, the right decision for him. But it feels like the decision that everybody has to take. But, you know, it wasn't a case of it's time to go and he's not going to play under me and this, that and the other. He was very much given the impression that if Cleek had been willing to stay, then they'd, they'd have kept him. And no thanks for Marsh in the letter. There were thanks for a lot of other people. Should we read anything to that or was it just the, the, the choice of words? Well, I totally expected the, most of the thanks to be for Bielsa. And also, I wasn't surprised to see the thanks for Otter who signed him initially. The story always goes that when... When Click went out on loan in that first season and, and everybody everybody looked at it and thought, what a weird transfer this is. Presumably he's just going to head off now and we'll pretend that it never happened. He he went to Utrecht and he said to to Otter, I'll be back in the summer. You know, I will be back and I'm I'm gonna have another crack at it here. But see to to me, Bielsa was obviously the story of of that era. But I think in the promotion squad, the two stories in terms of players to my mind were Hernandez and, and Cleek. Hernandez was Hernandez is a bit like the Phoenix who had gone to Al Arabi, gone out to the Middle East um, at, at quite a young age and it felt as if he was just drifting off the football map and might show up in Spain again or this, that and the other. But, you know, even when he signed for Leeds, when he came over under Gary Monk, you did think, it's a bit weird though, isn't it? You know, that uh, so young he decided to kind of go out to a football in, football in backwater and then somehow turned in the best football of his life and seemed to get better and better as he went further and further into his 30s. I mean, such a such an intelligent, gifted footballer. By a mile, the Leeds player I've most enjoyed watching. 
um, in all my time doing this. He was just phenomenally good. But Cleek's different to a lot of footballers in that he's quite run-of-the-mill in his personality. You know, he very ordinary guy from an extremely... I was going to say extremely ordinary family in Poland. Actually, very talented family. They're, they're all, his dad was a footballer. His mum was a very good swimmer. His sister was a triathlete or a pentathlete. I feel really bad um, not knowing that because people who are into those sports will say, well, they're not the same. So the, the three other five. You get the, you get the general <laughs> idea, you know, but she, you know, she was, um, she was very talented at, at sport as well. Um, but he, he wasn't like your conventional footballer. And more to the point, it's easily forgotten that he could have been bombed, bombed out no problem in that first Bielsa summer. You know, he was in that, I think the second of the, the three squads, which was very much, uh, I'm not sure about these and I'll give it some thought, but realistically, most of them will probably go. And you'll remember him playing centre-back at York City. And it was basically the injury to Forshaw, the broken foot bone to Forshaw that opened the door for Cleek. And the way in which he became Bielsa's man in 90 minutes against Stoke was absolutely extraordinary. I don't know. I, I don't think, I don't know about you, but I don't think I've ever seen anybody grasp the opportunity to use that awful football cliche in the way that, that he did. Somebody who I think we all thought, no, he's not going to fit. And then suddenly, there's that great um, that great quote on the, the BBC blog at the time, which said, if um, if he forces Joe Allen back any further, it'll be 2016, he'll be back at Liverpool. You know, that's, that's just how, how it suddenly went. And he always leads nothing. He's given them everything he could have given them. 92 games back-to-back is just, you know, ludicrous stamina these days. I think, I don't know, club legend, would you say? Well, people disagree on the use of the word legend, don't they? Yeah, that's, it's that's, hard to, hard to define. Things. I think what he is, is he's a hero. And the way I want to frame it in my mind is that if you look across the 100-odd years now that Leeds United's been in existence, how many teams in there have actually genuinely achieved something yeah. for the club? And when you whittle that down to the number of players, what you're going to say, is it 50, 100 maybe over the course of our history? You know, just plucking a figure out there, then it might be more, might be fewer. And he's in that band of players who will be forever remembered for doing something, actually achieving something for Leeds United. So that's where his status ranks for me. I think the, the moments he's been involved in as well, uh, there are certain bits that will always be talked about as part of Leeds history. The, the first goal under Bielsa and that day, he was central to it and... I, I know you kind of romanticise these things as time goes on, but you just think of like the glorious sunshine and click, well, click back from nowhere and the football we were playing. It, and was, he, a, it was a perfect day. And it he really got, was, he got yeah. it all started. And then the goal against Villa, a, a completely different kind of day, but again, something hugely memorable. And then some great strikes in there as well, but all the stuff he did around promotion and his celebrations of that. And maybe, maybe it has a more of an effect because we weren't celebrating as we should have been because of, yeah. of not being there. It felt like Click was doing a bit of celebrating for all of us, which I think was sort of the nice bit of that. You were just seeing a man enjoying himself. Living uh, his best life as the exactly. same goes. Yeah, just yeah. En- enjoy, yeah. Enjoying the work he's done, I, I suppose I, is the way I'd phrase it. I'm, I'm not sure that people in football, when you consider the stress that they're all under and the pressure that they're all, they're all under, I don't think they necessarily enjoy these moments enough. And I think he, he almost broke the mould in that promotion of this idea. You know what they used to say about Alex Ferguson of, as soon as one trophy was banked, it was, right, what's next? You know, move on to, to the next one. Whereas, and this, this actually applied to Bielsa over that weekend as well. Everybody seemed to be able to say, to, to just stop and sit back and soak it in. And it meant an awful lot to, to everybody. I, I always say I've got a lot of time for the squad that got promoted in 2010, you know, Beckfords and Beckios and um, Andrew Hughes, Richard Naylor's and so on. Because... It was League One and Leeds should have been getting out of League One and they should not have taken three years to get out of League One. But they still delivered it in the end. You know, they did they did deliver something tangible and, and I think I think that matters. And in his letter, in his goodbye letter, um Clay was saying, you know, finally to the players I've played with, both past and present, um, it's been an honour. There is something unique about the 2019-20 team who overcame a lot to succeed against the odds. The spirit of this team will live on. I think that's really true. Uh, the, there was something different about that team there was something sort of fundamentally special about it and I guess if you think about it if you think about it deeply enough and if you go through the things that made that team outstanding you know it was the the quality of the tactics it was the quality of the players it was the quality of some of the individual players it was I guess the ability of the players themselves but also through Bielsa's coaching to push some of them to a level that they never played at before you know to, to play the best football of their career but it just worked 
didn't it? It just worked. And sometimes these things do come together in a way that creates something really, really memorable. And when he says, you know, that's that kind of, that team had a sort of unique spirit, had a unique vibe about him, I totally understand what he means. I still think in, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, people will look back at that year and talk about it in a way that they don't talk about most seasons at Leeds. Because let's be honest, prior to that, most seasons at Leeds were a washout. You know, they were. It started with promise sometimes, but then delivered nothing. That season couldn't have delivered anymore. Yeah, and that team fought against the weight of history and, and overcame it, which is not easily done at Leeds. I mean, I was, I was listening to, um, it was Talk Sport in the car on the way home last night, and I can't remember which pundit it was, but it was somebody who was halfway sensible at that time anyway, quite late at night, saying that when you look at what um, what fans choose when it comes to player of the year at any given club, it's not always the best player. It's often the one who, who puts most in or most embodies the fans. And I think that's roughly where click sits for me in the sort of, in the folklore of the club. He like, you know, it's, it's the effort levels, the running on the pitch, which we saw from all that Bielsa side was just, that's why it was so attractive to fans, wasn't it? Because you always convince yourself if you had the white shirt on, you'd be running around, you know, putting absolutely everything. For at least what, a minute or two. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's why fans initially anyway, loved, loved like Alan Smith saying David Batty as well was the embodiment of them. It's them on the pitch, isn't it? It's the, it's the fans, the fans in the white shirt and, you got the effort levels from Click. You got the Click Housery as it's been re- mm-hmm. rebadged, and also they're not taking it too seriously and celebrating good and proper like the fans would as well. There was there's so much in there to humanise him when footballers are often robotic behind you know uh, PR companies doing their social media accounts saying these these bland platitudes, and there you've got this real life living human who just doesn't buy into any of that stuff. Well, I I wrote about the murals. Uh, during the, the World Cup break and I met up with um, Adam Duffield who helped Cleek to do the, the mural outside Ellen Road the Champions 2020 mural that's um, on the, the wall outside the stand and he said he, you know, he spent a lot of time obviously with Cleek doing that um, and Cleek is absolutely fascinated with graffiti he loves street art and um, Adam said that he'd said to me you know, if I hadn't been a footballer I probably would have been a street artist you know that's what I, that sort of thing I would want to have done so he is just a it is a very sort of ordinary, um, relatable guy. I mean, it, what you're saying about you know player of the year quite often going to whoever puts the most in, it's not so different really to Stuart Dallas getting player of the year at the end of the 2021 season when, you know, there are a lot of good performances through that season. A lot of players who played really well um, first time in the Premier League or, you know, a rare time up in the Premier League. But it was Dallas who had the pick and Dallas, again, a little bit like Clake, almost embodied the Bielsa team in that, could play anywhere he, he was asked to play in, in all sorts of positions he kind of found himself under Bielsa in a way that he hadn't really under any previous coach at Leeds despite being there for, for a long long time um, and I mean I think Cleek, you were saying that you know doesn't take things too seriously Cleek, he, he still takes it seriously enough and I think that was there in the last paragraph of that of his letter last night you know saying I've never enjoyed being on the bench and I want to play as much as I can in, in the coming years and that's why that's why I'm going Um and I found this with the few footballers over the years that they never want to end up being cheerleaders. You know, they never want to end up being these caricatures who people love, but over time no longer love for the football because they never play. And I think, as I say, whether this is a good move for Leeds losing him um, and financially um, it, it will help them because I think the fact that um, his deal has been terminated will save them a fair chunk of the wages that would have been paid over the next 18 months to him. But whether in a competitive sense this is a good idea, I, I have my doubts. I still see how he, he could have been used. But it's got to be in his interests. And I think, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't blame him for, for looking after himself and doing right by him. Just returning to the midfielder question then, in your opinion, with him gone, do we need another body? I think it would be a good idea. Yeah, I think it would. I still I still look at Cleek, the way he, he alters games, the way he... he changes games the way he can make Leeds play slightly differently and make them play full stop there's a there's a lot of youth in this squad there are a lot of unproven players and that's not necessarily a problem because you know Nonto has looked very good um, I mean Nonto had experience in, in Switzerland but still this is his first time in the Premier League Somerville has obviously made a, a decent impact but your players like JB who I think is a, a different type of midfielder to click anyway um, this is all pretty pretty new to them um, and it's it's asking quite a lot I think if the option was there to have to, to add another more advanced midfielder in, in the clique mould and presumably you know closer to what Marsh actually wants for, for his team then it would make sense 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. On the transfers front then, Phil, your favourite time of year. How are you enjoying the window so far? It's only been five days in. Is that all? <laughs> <laughs> only another, what, 20, 25, 26 to go? It's like prison wall where you're scraping the, <laughs> scraping the line. It's like, yeah, we'll get there eventually. Uh, so well, they've got, they've got one done, haven't they? They've got one done. Uh, Max Ferber from Albi Salzburg, which was pretty openly telegraphed and went through earlier this week. Around about £10 million, contract 2027, fourth Red Bull player. Um, so, sold to us as a player who can play multiple positions last night in yes, his programme notes yes um, Mars said the same afterwards are, are um, we, can I just ask you on that sorry yes. Phil I was just going to say are we at a point now where it feels like no matter what the club do nothing's right well you tell me you tell me well I, mean, I guess it goes back to what we were talking about in part one with the crowd being on the cusp of turning and for all that people get drawn into these these, these binary black and white arguments on Twitter about what's right and what's wrong polarising opinion whatever the Ellen Road crowd is an interesting barometer, I think, of it. Because yeah. you get kind of it almost operates as a as a single entity sometimes, doesn't it? Like it's thirty-six thousand people generally steering the mood and it sort of feeds off each other. It's just a dead it's a dead interesting thing to my mind when you divorce yourself away from like your emotional involvement in the football. And that crowd was on the cusp of turning, as we were saying in, in yeah. part one there last night. And it feels like it's not a million miles away from doing so anyway, just generally with with the stuff that's going on with the club. Like, for example, the farewell to click has been heavily yeah. criticised among a lot of fans as not being good enough or it was too late or it was too messy or whatever it might be. That, well, that's, just, that's just been used on as, that because we should probably speak about that. I was going to say um, it's been used as a stick to beat them with it, and I was going to say the same about, you know, uh, Verba being sold to us as a player who can play yes, multiple positions. Yeah. But let's, let's do click first then. Okay, well, more, more broadly, I think with football clubs, they, they, they're always prone to, you know, sticks to beat them with that, that relate to things off the pitch or PR aspects or, or whatever else. I always feel that in the end it comes back to the football. If the football is good and you've got a good team in front of you, you've got a squad that you have faith in, you've got a tactical setup that you have faith in, your head coach you've got faith in, then generally people will be, you know, it will placate people, it will keep people happy, people will enjoy it. If, if you don't have that, and I don't think at the moment Leeds do have a team that people, that there's, it feels like it's a vacuum of faith in this team a little bit at the moment. You know, people aren't sure if this is, is this good? Is this going to be good? Is this going to be okay? You know, is it going to run into trouble? What's what's going to happen? That puts people on edge and that does definitely cause more tension. With Cleek, I think yesterday afternoon it was more complicated with his contract than people might have realised. And he didn't actually sign to sever his deal until after the game itself. So Leeds have, Leeds have terminated his contract rather than selling him to DC United. And a few reasons for, for doing that. But one of them, I think, is that they, they wanted the decision to be made. You know, they didn't want him, say, to go to DC United and change his mind, you know, so after two or three weeks decide, actually, do you know what, I'm not going there and come back and then you're left with a player who doesn't really want to, because it does seem that Clay wanted to, to go. Say, for the sake of argument, it feels a medical there or whatever else. You know, I think their feeling was, 
if we agree this termination and he goes, then obviously they will save to an extent on his wages in the next 18 months. But also, it's then a case of, right, the ball's in, in your court. You now go and you, you find yourself another club. So that, I think, made it difficult yesterday afternoon for them to certainly announce it pre-match because nothing nothing was signed. And a few people said to me, that have said to me this morning, um, at in, when injury time started, there should have been an announcement. You'll stay in your seats to say goodbye to Cleek. You could not have done that on 90 minutes last night because the, <laughs> get, like, the, the game was wild. And, you know, it was tense. It was it was there to be won. You, you had the, the kind of doomsday scenario of saying, Everybody clicks leaving as Antonio goes up the other end and scores, you know, and then this is oh. huge meltdown, you know. But I think Michael said this to me when I came in, I am to record, and uh, I think this is right, bang on full time. There, there could have been an announcement just saying, look, stay in your seats, we're going to say goodbye to, to Cleek. It was clearly a bit more complicated, I think, um, in, in agreeing his exit or finalising his exit than it might otherwise have been. But I do, I do get why people people who didn't stay or people who didn't realise that was going to happen feel aggrieved about it because he is the sort of player that you want to say, say cheerio to. You know, you want to acknowledge the fact that he's been a massive, massive player for you. And we'll hopefully get a chance to come back and do that in, in future at some point. And then bringing us back round to, to Verba, what I was saying before, Phil. Yes. And Kinnear's programme notes in which he has said he covers multiple positions. Now, on the one hand, you could view that as sensible. On the other hand, people who think that the club can't do anything right will turn around and go, well, what we need you to do now, though, is to stop doing that and to sign a better left-back than we have. And I think that's one of the criticisms of where the club has ended up now or has found itself, is that they're not going out there and necessarily buying a player who's better than we already have in that position. That That's what the, the critical voice will say. I'm just playing devil's advocate. I know nothing about Max Verber. He might be great. Uh, well, in Verber's own uh, LUTV interview, he said, you know, I happily play at centre-back, play at left-back, I play at six. You know, I've been playing centre-midfield. And you remember when Robin Koch was signed from Freiburg, there was chat back then about the fact that, yeah, he's a centre-back, but actually he can play as a defensive midfielder as well. I, I don't really think he can, you know, or at least I don't think that's the option you really want to be going for. You know, I think if you want the best team you can have, you want Robin Koch as a right-sided centre-back and you want midfielders in midfield. And I, I'm totally open to the, the idea and the, the philosophy of players being able to play in more than one position. And Bielsa was a massive advocate of that um, in particular. I'm going to stick my neck out and say that I think they have more of a left-back in Verba than they have in Pascal Stroik at the moment. Now, you might say to me, but Pascal Stroik is a centre-back, so, you know, surely to God, whoever is coming in is more of a left-back than Pascal Stroik. Verba played there for Sevilla, um, where he was for um, about six months in 2019. He's played there for Salzburg this season, partly because... Salzburg signed a, a Serbian centre-back over the summer who's come into the team and, and Verber has moved out wide as opposed to being in a, a central position in the defence. What I can't say or predict is how he's going to adapt, how suited he's going to be to the Premier League. It's been a challenge without a doubt for Christensen on the other side of the defence. You know, I, I looked at Christensen's profile and I thought, decent signing that for 10 million quid. I thought he, he, could be, he could be good, he could be actually a very, very safe pair of hands I wouldn't say he's been a particularly safe pair of hands at the moment. And I think if he was speaking about it himself, he'd probably say that he would have liked the first half of the season to go better than than it has. So to an extent with Verba, they've absolutely ad- addressed a position that they needed to address. The question is going to be, is he good enough? And is he, you know, is he the is he the option that they're looking for? Is he going to solve, you know, the the problem out wide, which is that they don't have a natural left back in that role. And it seems to me it feels like at the moment, I kind of toss up in a shootout between Stroik and um, and Verba because where Junior Firpo is in all this is really difficult to say. Play once, play play one Premier League game this season. Form hasn't really been there at any stage. It's uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this is a weird transfer because if we had five or six more points on the board and we were nearer the Villa Palace part of the table, I think you could look at it and you can go, oh well, seems quite a sensible addition. He's a good age. He's quite versatile. He can, yeah. you, you know, you can look at all the positives of it. But, but as instead, it is, you go, <laughs> this doesn't solve it. <laughs> another bloody Red Bull player, brilliant. Yeah. Just what we need. Yeah, Particularly yeah. when Marsh's that's, ex- that's Marsh's a- future seems less than secure. This sticking is a- another Red Bull man, and you think, well, is this a- is exactly this a what investment? I mean? Exactly what I mean about everyone thinking that they just can't do right at the minute because it's all about that baked-in stress about the league position, isn't it? You can you can't escape. Not the league position necessarily so much as the points tally versus the the points tally of the clubs beneath Leeds. It's it's all a bit a bit close for comfort. So as such, all those anxieties get manifest in the decisions that the club takes. Yeah. And the, and there have been 
mistakes made, particularly over the last 12 months, it's been a difficult year for the club. It, it absolutely has. Difficult 18 months, really, from the, the start of Bielsa's second season in the Premier League. It's it, It's been a challenge. I think more and more it's pushed a lot of us to thinking that the transition of ownership needs to come sooner rather than later now. And I very much feel when I look at the squad and the team, I see a team that hasn't left behind what it had and, and what it was in, say, 2020, 2021, but hasn't moved far enough on from that either. I'm not saying that you need to dispense with everything that Bielsa did or all the players that he used, but it, it's, you know, it's, it's only natural some footballers get older, um, some lose the touch or lose the form or whatever else. Everything has to evolve. And I think that's probably what we haven't seen enough of is a kind of clear evolution from one era to, to the next. Um, if the squad had built up in a way that made them a very steady, consistent Premier League team, you would probably see the addition of Verber as being quite a kind of savvy, sensible purchase. You know, say, well, but you know, what's the harm? There's going to have to be some sort of passing of the baton on the left side of defence. I think most of us feel it will be Stroik who ends up playing there and Leeds have just given him a long contract, so that would make sense. But then you have Verber as well who you know can, can compete in that position and perhaps if they were stronger and if it wasn't such a struggle at the bottom of the league, it would be easier to say, yeah, that's not actually a, a bad signing. I don't think it is a bad signing, I have to say that. It's just, it's just It comes down to how much difference is it going to make. One thing on Verber that um, really tickled me in all this, and it's nice to have these slightly lighter moments, is that um, he looks so ordinary, does Max Verber, doesn't he? He doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't, he doesn't look like, you, know, you see so many like, Instagrammed, yeah. hair faded, he just looks like a normal bloke. And uh, one of my friends who knows who he is said, he looks, in the uh, words of the comedian Gavin Webster, like someone who plays snooker with your brother. <laughs> 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 Which I really like. Yeah, I can't argue with that. That sounds, uh, that sounds about right, yeah. Um, looking further forward then, Phil, still on with the forward, they've been saying that they're looking at a forward. Angus Kinnear in his notes last night said, the first of our January signings, which suggests there may be a second. Yes, I think they need to do a forward, definitely. Um, I don't think there's, it doesn't seem to be much question about the fact that they realise that as well, or, or, or certainly thinking about it. Um, but do they know what type of forward they want though, Phil? Well, is well, it gonna, are we looking at a number nine here? Or are we looking at somebody who's more of a hybrid they, player who can cover they always, the nine or the ten? They always seem to be open-minded about that. So with, you know, De Ketelaar and Gakpo, they are players who, as you saw with the Holland team in the World Cup, Gakpo played out wide, played deep, uh, you know, withdrawn forward, played um, as a in a front two. Um, they do like versatile options who can play wherever. Personally, I'd be going for a nine. You know, I would be going for the nine that they don't really have and who could, could help them. But I think a forward of merit and a forward of, of good quality would be a good addition either way. Cardiff in the FA Cup on Sunday. You're going down to this one then? I am. Yes. I am, yes. Um, I did a piece two years ago, the title of which, I mean, this might have been my, the way I couched it on Twitter, but it was basically Leeds in the FA Cup, why do they hate each other? Um, <laughs> and is this, the, is this the year for a run of sorts? Yes. Do you think? Yes, definitely. This is, maybe this is what Jesse Marsh's speciality is, it's cup runs. Cup runs are like things that happen to other people, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. I don't know, it's just dead, dead weird. Whenever I think back, the, the, you know, there was the little flurry under Grayson of obviously the win at Old Trafford and then running Tottenham close and giving Arsenal a scare and, and so on. A good little purple patch of, of, of games in which Leeds either won or, or really competed. But the, the one that run to the quarterfinal of the uh, League Cup and, and taking the lead against Chelsea is the only occasion that sticks out to me of having seen anything resembling you know, a run that might take Leeds into the, the, the deep stages of the competition. I think Marsh's got to go strong for this game. I, I think he has. I don't. I don't think it's going to do any anybody any good to send out a weakened team for that team to lose. I, I don't think this is one of those occasions where everybody will say, "Well, we'll just focus on the league." I mean, they do very much need to focus on the league, but I think they need to start giving people a bit more to cling to as well. It, um, go, it goes back to our favorite, oh, my favorite phrase, anyway, from the TV show Succession. Optics, optics. yeah. Yes. How, how will this look if we put out a half-assed team that just goes out with a whimper again? Well, Cardiff are two points above the Championship's relegation zone, so it will not look good if that happens. Um, and I mean, Leeds, you know, if, if they play a strong side down there, have more than enough to win this tie. They, they absolutely do. And it's never it's never tallied with me that the, the thought that some people have that it's useful to go out of the Cups because it doesn't congest your, um, your schedule. There are times when it can get out of hand, um, but it tends to get out of hand for your sides who are in Europe and are having to mix and match, you know, Champions League ties and Europa League ties with 
important Premier League games and then cup matches as well. And, Leeds, th- and thankfully we went out of the League Cup in order to facilitate our FA Cup run. is correct. Um, so Leeds have ample, I think, amounts of time to accommodate some more um, cup ties as we go further forward. So put it this way, it's a long way to go for a defeat. What sort of side would you play out and do you expect to see Verba, maybe? Is that his debut? Yeah, um, Marsh did say that he'd be available at the weekend and it would kind of make sense to get him going, I think, with without a doubt. I think there will be some players rested, but I don't think it will be um, 100% full strength. But I would have thought that most of you, especially because they've got the best part of, you know, they've got four or five days until they play again at Villa. You would like to see your protagonists like Adams, you know, like Nonto and so on, in the side so that they can dictate, they can dominate, they can they can make it as easy as possible for Leeds and they can get out of there with a win. From a purely objective point of view, it'll be interesting to see how Leeds stack up against championship opposition because it feels to me like this season has really reinforced how difficult the Premier League is and what the golfing class is between the championship and the Premier League. So it'll be it'll be interesting, let's say, to benchmark that that performance against Cardiff. Will, will the effort and the, and the bluster of championship football compete with the skill levels that you hope are going to be higher in the Premier League? They're taking a lot of fans down, Leeds, um, and everybody harks back to the FA Cup tie when Naliri was manager and the, the bad blood that was left over from that. That was Ninian Park. I only had the pleasure once and that that was a that was a stadium where you kind of feel death if things went wrong, you it, know. It was, like, it, was, it was a shower of uh, coins and piss. You were... Um, you were, you were very much minded to take care of yourself in that ground, without a doubt. Never feels like that at the Cardiff City Stadium. You know, the last few times I've been, it's been pretty empty, actually. Crowds haven't been huge. Was um, it, sorry, Phil, was it Cardiff where you told me once you hid your identity? No, that was Millwall. That was Millwall. No, well, someone said to me, who do you work for? And I said, the Daily Mail. And because I had a, because I had a Scottish accent, they, um, they were quite happy to accept that rather than saying, oh, Yorkshire Union Post. No, um, the the... Press box in Indian Park used to be basically just two rows of seats with desks, which sounds obvious because that's what a press box is. But it was just desks that had been kind of pinned onto the seats. They hadn't created any space or any kind of breaks between you and, and the crowd. And the only game I did there, Leeds lost 1-0. Uh, Shopper scored the winner, but Shopper missed a penalty or Ankergren saved the penalty in the second half. And um, the, the poor pair from Yorkshire Radio, who Mike Weedock and Eddie Gray, Mike obviously gave it big licks when Ankergren yeah. Anchor and saved that and I'm ashamed to say that I hid up the far end of the row <laughs> and uh, let various people get on with it because they were not very forgiving I reckon Eddie could handle himself though. oh I'm sure he could I'm yeah. sure he could but trust me being Eddie Gray in the middle of that would <laughs> buy you no grace at all my mem- none at all my memory of Ninian Park it was one of the the bubble games Dave Jones was manager again another really toxic day but was uh, being guided back to the buses by the police and uh, a Cardiff fan with a child of about two in his arms who'd obviously stayed behind so we could shout abuse at Leeds fans. <laughs> and I thought, what a lovely family day. I'm, I'm absolutely certain that'll be the same game. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure it, it will be. The, the Cardiff City Stadium is far more sterile. I, I mean, I, 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 was, I wrote a, a piece uh, when I was at the Evening Post about the fact that when we'd gone to Ninian Park, we genuinely all thought there were points in the game we were going to get a, a proper kick in. At the Cardiff City Stadium... There was a stage in the first half where Domino's were delivering pizzas to people up in the, the seats in front of us. It was slightly <laughs> slightly different. So I don't know how Cardiff are doing for crowds at the moment. I genuinely haven't had a look and I would assume that they'll, you know, this will be quite a, a good one to, to market. But I think whereas a, a cup tie away at Ninian Park was kind of the last thing you, you wanted to draw, this is a, a big trip in the sense of distance. But um, Cardiff are not having a good season. And Given your ability to predict these things, Phil, I'm expecting a full-scale Luton Town v Millwall riot, riot. On, the, <laughs> on the weekend. Well, I'll be sure to get photos of it if it uh, if it happens. But Leeds are taking huge numbers. I'm sure Kinnear said last night it was about six thousand. Yeah. not? Yeah, they took the extra allocation, didn't they? Which so is you know, that I did kind of t- I toyed with the idea of going down there actually, but my um my lad, my eleven year old, he wasn't sold on it. He was like, it's too far. Yeah, <laughs> That's Fine. the spirit. Fine. That's Watch, the spirit. Watch it from back here because it is on ITV as well. Um. What do you reckon from that then? Are there replays at this stage uh, of the FA Cup? I've, I've lost track of it all now. It's the League Cup where they don't do replays, isn't it? But the FA Cup, I think they do. There are replays, yes. Um, it's all a bit confusing now because the, it seems to vary so much from cup to cup or from round to round. Suffice to say, I don't think Marsh or anyone at Leeds wants a midweek tie back at Ellen Road against Cardiff. They want to get this done in a one-up. But I do I do feel like they need to win this game. It's not going to do anybody any good, is it, if they, if they get beaten at Cardiff? No. Wouldn't be the first time though, would it? It wouldn't be the first time. Uh, do you expect them to win? 
Well, I noticed Cardiff, since they, uh, they resumed their season, have not scored a goal. So that bodes well. <laughs> <laughs> mind I see, you, I mind you, everyone was negative going into the West Ham game saying, Five defeats on the bounce, and uh, we know what happens from here. But well, we did break that run from, and we did break that run from you, right, Michael? <laughs> I am. Um, I think Leeds will win this game. Yeah, I think they'll have a little bit too much for Cardiff. So congratulations, Cardiff. We'll report yes, well back done. on that. Yeah. I, uh... Actually, do you know what? I'm wrong. I forget the championship season uh, resumed earlier, but their last three games they haven't scored. Actually. All right, that's fair. That's enough. That's enough of a, of a pattern, isn't it? Well, we will see. Um, back on Monday, then Phil, um, and we will have a chat about that. You and I. Yes. And. Um, See who we fancy in the fourth round then. Absolutely. Based, based on Absolutely. Your, your prediction. On my confident prediction. A nice rest. And if you fancy <laughs> that weekend. If you, <laughs> if you are if you are travelling down, have a good time. And uh, we'll see you on the other Pack side. Thank you, Trident. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's it for the Phil Hay Show um, this time around. Yeah, we are back on Monday, twice weekly now, um, as we are theathletic.com forward slash leads pod if you want to have a look at the latest offer for The Athletic. We'll speak to you next week. The Phil Hay Show. 